a Dadsnet original podcast. Welcome to season three of the Diffability podcast, brought to you by the Dadsnet and Get Cycling. All kinds of cycles for all kinds of people. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash Diffability to find out more and to book your own demo. I'm Paul and this is Michael. Hello. And we are parents to four children. Our youngest boys are Lawton and Lanson and our eldest twins Levi and Lucas who are diagnosed with autism and epilepsy along with other complex disabilities. And together we are the Atwal Bryce family. In this podcast we'll be taking a look at a range of different conditions that could affect your children and speaking to experts from various organisations to get you the best advice out there. Now, we have covered a lot of disabilities on this podcast, but one you may have not come across is Golden Heart Syndrome. We spoke to Charlie, she's at Our Altered Life on Instagram, whose son Harry was born with Golden Heart Syndrome, which causes facial disfigurement alongside autism and global learning delay. Charlie has some fantastic insights on how life changes when you're raising a child with a disability and how to get the support on the journey you never expected to take. Today we have got Charlie. Feeling the Hi. pressure. <laughs> over. Hi Charlie, so we know uh, a lot about you and we've previously met you at different events and stuff. Now, Charlie, tell us a bit about yourselves, your story in a capsule. Okay. So I have twin boys who are now 18 years old. My pregnancy was very typical. I was quite smug to be having twins because I was like super uterus here, you know. Um, and then when the boys were born, we found out that Harry had a rare craniofacial condition. So the condition is called Golden Heart Syndrome and it affects children differently. But for Harry, it meant that he was born with no eye, no eye socket, no ear, no nostril and a very short underdeveloped jaw as well. And we were told that he would probably be brain damaged and never walk. So this on the back of being told that everything was fine throughout my pregnancy. Um, thankfully, Harry is very mobile um, and doesn't have brain damage, but he is autistic. So he does have significant um, care needs and learning needs as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I was I worked in education when the boys were born, trained as a primary school teacher when the boys were one. And I've had to sort of dip in and out of that career as Harry's needs have have been you know sort of different um so yeah that's where we're at and we know we all story Charlie obviously a, a big thing about you now is helping other parents and carers um <clears throat> what help and support do you provide then Charlie to other other families yeah I think just before I answer that it's really important to say that I was so against being a special needs parent when I was given the diet when Harry was given his diagnosis I was yeah. like oh no 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 he, you know he'll be okay he'll be yeah. normal air quotes yeah. and you know he'll catch up and I really I kind of wanted Harry to be in my world but I didn't take any real action to enter his because I, I was just in such a lot of shock and and grief and guilt and all of the rest of it so when I, you know, obviously you you guys know it's yeah. a journey, you know, when you become parents, it really is a journey. And now I'm the completely opposite end of that spectrum where I, you know, I embrace a special needs community yeah. and support them. Um, so in answer to your question, I, I wrote a book, which is Our Altered Life, 
So that went fantastically well. Um, then I founded a charity called More Than a Face. So I go into schools and I educate children and young people on visible difference and just give them some compassion and some skills to know how to approach people that might look very different to them. Um, and then I have founded a company called Send Gin and Cheese. Now, it's not a subscription service. I think people think it might be. So they got it when they found out it isn't. But I know that when Harry was diagnosed autistic, I wouldn't have joined Send Help and Support. I wouldn't have joined that group because I wanted to believe I could do it on my own. I wanted to think that me and my existing network, we'd got this. I didn't need anybody else. So when I when I founded the company, I wanted it to be a way that parents would engage and access. So Send Gin and Cheese was born and I've got a mum's group. So mums come in and they have to introduce themselves and say what their favourite beverage and snack is as well. Um, so that's really nice because they kind of reclaim a teeny bit of their identity at the introduction part. Yeah. Um, and then recently we've set up Send Support for Dads as well. Um, so we've got two separate communities for various reasons. Um, but yes, yeah, so that's the support that I offer, along with mentoring and a membership. So people can really nail what I believe are the foundations are, of good mental well-being. So, you know, the sense support for dads. Do a lot of dads come forward? And I say this as a dad ourselves, because men are very reserved about their feelings and their emotions. It always seems to be very difficult for men to yeah. to understand and manage Bruce, yeah. children with complex needs. I'm, you know, I, I'm very open about this and honest. I, I always think some fathers can struggle with this a bit. Yeah. Yeah, massively. And uh, we've got uh, 2,400 mums in the group and we've only had probably 10% of less than 10% of that number wants to be in the dad's group. Um, so it, it is a massively smaller number. Yeah. But equally, I think it's a significant, it's an important number because we have to start somewhere. Yeah. So yeah. That's, that's where the dad's group came from, really. It came because I was having to turn dads away because I'm not a dad. I don't, I don't pretend to understand the dad's perspective. Um, and so, you know, I've got dad admins in the group. So it's definitely a space for dads run by dads um, because it is difficult. Like you said, I think it comes with other challenges um, being a dad. And I've, I've spoken to other dads on LinkedIn. I've got um, sort of a bit of a LinkedIn presence because I support businesses as well. Um, and I interviewed, I think it was 18 dads in the end. And one said, my wife gets the chocolates. My wife gets the text messages. My wife gets the flowers. Yeah. And I and I I get nothing, you know. Nobody yeah. checks, nobody checks in on me. Um, and then another dad was saying, "I go to work, and when I'm at work, I'm stressed about what's happening at home. That the money and the, the the financial pressure is all on me because my wife can't work because of our child. But then when I come home, my wife thinks I've had a day off. And if I yeah. want to with the lads, or if I want some time for me, she's like, well, you've been to work, you've had a break. And so all these different dynamics that came in from, from those conversations I had with dads was really powerful. Um, so I, I do want to do more for dads moving forwards, definitely. I'm really pleased you've said that because when we were like reading the, the like little notes and stuff that Jack did, it said, support your mums. And I thought, well, surely 
Charlie dads will be allowed in that as well, but obviously there's a separate thing for that. That's for that. why I wanted to ask about it because yeah, so there was, and I asked the members, um, yeah. and majority of the members were like, yeah, we don't mind dads being in there. But then there were some mums that came forwards privately as well as in yeah. the group, and they just said, I really don't think I would be as honest and as candid as I am yeah. if my partner was in the group or if. Yeah. You know, if I knew guys, and so my my the group, <laughs> gin and cheese is a beautiful space, and it's not just about having a child with disabilities, a disabled child. It's also about you know putting weight on menopause, relationship problems, and I think that sometimes when we've got pe- both sets of parents together, those conversations can be a little bit censored. Yeah, you know, um, so. We'll see. We'll see how it goes with with the the two exclusive groups. You know, never say never that they wouldn't come together and I'm happy to do events together and things like that. But I just think nobody gets you like your own breed, if you like. Um, And so I know that I think it's going to be really powerful for dads to have each other in the same way that it is for the mums. So I always feel that mums are very open and honest. And I always think that dads can often struggle with being open and vocal about how they feel and the complexities of parenting children with special needs. Um, I think more of that kind of work needs to be done 100%. Yeah. To encourage fathers just to be open and speak about it and how, yeah. how they're feeling about the difficult days and how they might feel that they're failing and all those emotions. Because, I I mean, we know a lot of parents and most of those are women. Mm-hmm. And it's not many men that are out there talking openly about parenting children with complex needs. And it's not certainly not a sign of weakness or anything else like that. You know, it just kind of shows that we're all in the same boat together. Yeah, definitely. I think what was really interesting is when we were given the Harry's diagnosis, so the boys were four hours old, I'd had an emergency C-section, the boys were two months early, they weighed £3.9, so they were whisked away as we expected they would be. Um, and the doc- the paediatrician came and gave us the diagnosis. My reaction was just paralysis, just complete shock and, and guilt and grief and fear because this guy is describing a baby to me that I'm thinking, well, what if I can't look at him? He's got half a face. I don't know what that's going to, what if I can't look at him, let alone love him and bond with him and raise him forever. Um, So I've got all those emotions. And my ex-husband, unfortunately, our marriage broke down. My ex-husband, his first question was, will he drive? Will I ever be able to play football with him? Yeah. So it was really interesting, the difference between us. Mine was very internalised. What did I do? Clearly, I've done something wrong. Um, what does this mean for for, for my life and, and for me? And for, for him, it was very much about those future dreams. Like, okay, so am I going to have the son that I've... I mean, obviously I had that as well, but his first question was, will he ever drive? Will he ever play football with me? Um, and so, yeah, I think there is a lot of work to be done around getting dads to own that and just say, I've got these ideas. You know, mum's talk... I've been pulled apart, not massively, but I talk a lot about grief um, and people say, oh, you shouldn't say that you're grieving, but you you absolutely do. You know, you do yeah. grieve the, the, the life that you thought you were going to have and and loving and adoring your children can 
run completely concurrently with the grief of the life you didn't know. They're not exclusive things. Um, so I think there's a lot of work to be done around dads recognising their grief and then owning it. I think uh, I can relate. we can relate to that so much because we often talk about when we first got the boys and when they were diagnosed and everything and, and society didn't help to the grief neither. No. They played, to us, society played a big part in that, yeah. in the grief, because of people's opinions and they, think, you know, they um, thought they could just say whatever they wanted. Yeah, I think we've resonated a lot with Charlie with what you've said like previously as well about we were wanting them to go to a mainstream school and we pinpointed it and we thought, oh, they're just a little bit delayed. They'll come on and yeah, yeah and and obviously that never happened. And the more milestones they weren't meeting, like and the more meetings and appointments and their autism assessment, and then it all come to like fruition. But and then it was all like a period of complete grief because nothing was working. Yeah, you know we couldn't understand them. We couldn't understand their needs. What Getting they wanted. World, yeah. And, yeah, the biggest thing for us was when we did the NAS early bird program, mm. and we met other other parents in the same boat. And it was the first time like we'd realised there were other parents not getting no sleep, there were other parents' children really fussy and picky with food, and it all kind of made sense. And we didn't feel alone at that point, did we? We felt like more normalised. And I think that's really powerful, I think, to know that it's not just you and to know that you are not doing something wrong because, you know, when you've got nobody else to talk to, you feel like you're doing something wrong all the time. So I think just having that community and that space is so powerful. Yeah. I mean, it was very different then because there wasn't social media. It wasn't as good as what it is now. And we, all, I always say social media can either be your best friend or it can be your worst enemy. Yeah. You know. So yeah, we, we age uh, uh, Harry and your boys. You'll have been the same. It'll have been like it's pre-social media, so you kind of felt a lot more isolated, and you yeah. didn't realise there were so many special needs families out there, and a lot of people going through the same thing. Yeah, it it is just that, isn't it? Yeah. And we all we all almost kind of went, and I think a lot of people would understand this. Went through a phase where we were mourning our children as to, you know everything they couldn't do what we wanted them to do yeah and that really played a big part in us yeah and then there was one day something just clicked and we thought we've got to celebrate them mm -hmm. for what they are and the moment we did that what they can do yeah our lives changed completely yeah completely. I, I think for me one of the big changes was recognizing that the grief I felt was my grief for his life and not his grief. Harry is so happy in his life. He is, you know, he's loved, he's safe, he's thriving in every way that Harry can do. You know, Harry's absolutely fine. He loves yeah. Harry's world. You know, I would love to be in, in Harry's world where there's no envy and jealousy and, and all of those. He's like mm. purity as your boys are, you know. Um, and all the sadness I recognised was, was mine. And it, I was grieving for the life that he would never know, but actually he's loving his life. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah. yeah. You know, he's happy in his world. Yeah, you've got something really unique, like Charlie, in the, in the respects that the twin boys, one mainstream, and then Harry with his autism, another diagnosis. So you've gone down, we've obviously got Levi Lucas, so they're both same diagnosis, autism, epilepsy, and learning difficulties. But So you've had your, your mainstream boy, and kind of just would that have been a lot obviously easier for school and everything like that and then the battle and fight with Harry you've had like 
the flip of the coin, aren't you, both sides? Yeah, definitely. Um, and, that, and that's been challenging in different ways because obviously you've got that direct comparison there. Yeah. You know, and we talked about grief. So you've got, I, I think one of the things people don't talk a lot about is the grief that comes with transitions. So when you're seeing other kids your children's age go to that first day back to school, for example, the day we're recording this is first day back to school for so many people, and they'll have the, the back to school photographs. And yeah. things like that. You know, all that comparison of, of peers. So to have twins and to have one, you know, thriving and, and having prom and, and going out and having school trips and all of those things and the other one not, that direct comparison was really difficult at times. So what is the relationship like between them both with comparison? Because I'm going to be very honest, for me, Levi and Lucas both have the same diagnosis and we're dealing, you know, there's not one that can see that. Although Levi's worse with his epilepsy. Yeah. Yeah. So let me try and word this correctly and I'm going to be very honest. I just want to know between the two boys how they see each other. Yeah. Where one seems to be achieving and the other is not achieving in the same way as the other. Do you know what I mean? Because you've got a young adult and you've got a special needs young adult. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really interested in this because obviously Levi and Lucas are both the same in every diagnosis. Yeah, of course, yeah. I think Harry is fairly oblivious to all of his achievements. Um, and to his own struggles, to be honest, I think, and, and that's one of the ways. So he's got his golden heart syndrome, and the autism, yeah. the autism is separate to that. Golden heart children don't tend to have autism, so that's you know the auti- I believe autism autism is genetic, so that's come through my line, um, which I recognise. So I think in some ways Harry's been blessed to have the autism because that's protected him from the pointing, the staring, the whispering. Yeah. All the rest that comes with somebody that looks as different as Harry does in a society that's very, very superficial nowadays. Um, but I think he's fairly oblivious to Oliver, other than if I say, you know, who's this? He'll say Oliver, and I'll say, Oliver is your, and he'll say, brother, or he'll say, my best friend. Sometimes he'll say that, which is really cute. Um, and then the other way, whilst Oliver can appreciate Harry's progress, they've been on a real journey of you know togetherness at the beginning because kids don't see difference do they they just see each other and then we've had resentment and jealousy when harry's needed all of my time or we've had days out that we've had to cut short or there's been places we wanted to go that we couldn't so there's been all that sort of aspect then you've had oliver fiercely protecting harry and we've had the pointing the staring all of those sorts of things um and now Oliver's 18, well, the boys are 18, Oliver's become a lot more compassionate towards Harry. Um, I've seen Sophia uh, first, is, is really loving towards him, into the, got a really, yeah. really lovely bond, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah, and lovely. Charlie, as, as a parent, because we all worry about if anything happens to ourselves with our children, yeah. does that give you, do you get reassurance with Oliver? I do. From, but I, I, not, I not do. Like somebody to keep an eye over him in the future type of thing. Yeah, certainly. And I've got stepchildren as well. Um, and my stepdaughter, Harry, absolutely adores my stepdaughter. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I don't ever doubt that he'll have that support around him. It's a bit of a double-edged sword, I think, when you've got a mainstream child because 
yes, Oliver, since he was seven or eight, would be saying, Mum, you don't have to worry. I will have Harry living with me and, and I won't. Yeah. So I, he's almost clipping his own wings yeah, to yeah. Sure that Harry's okay. And I'm yeah. like, I want him to travel. I want him to see the world. I don't want him to feel that he is burdened. No. And I, so I know that's a really negative word, but, I, I, you know, it's the best word I can think to describe. I don't want him to feel the pressure that yeah. he can't live his life because Harry's here. Um, so, you know, I, we've set up a, a trust fund and, and we've gone to some great lengths to make sure that Harry's got the best care around him when we die. Yeah. That isn't a priority. So that it's a choice for Oliver and not the only option. Yeah. I think that's similar to us with Lawton and Lance and the younger two. You're, it, it would be a burden to him and you would never want him to, to lose their life type of thing because it is a lifelong yeah. commitment looking after children like our, our children. Um, but you'd just like them to like pop in and see them and make sure they're all right wherever they end up being. Absolutely. It's happening, yeah, so, I mean, it's awful thinking about it, but that that is the reality. You just want family and the siblings to just check in on them and, and make sure they're getting the best care once we've all gone. Yeah, and that to be, you know, a choice, something that they want yeah. to do not something that they have to do twice yeah. a week and then they come to resent no. it. You know, that's yeah. that's the worst case scenario, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think if you'd have asked me five years ago about respite and assisted living and things like that, Harry, I'd have been like, absolutely, no way, no way. Yeah. Whereas as he's getting older, I'm recognising now that actually I don't want Harry to go to respite, but he needs that because he needs to be getting used to being around other people other than me yeah. and his stepdad and his dad. You know, at some point, I would like to see now, not right now, but, you know, in another 10 years or more, I'd like to see him settled in some sort of assisted living so that when yeah. I die, I know he's okay. And it's not going to be this massive shock that he's lost his mom and he's lost his home. You know, I, I want to make sure that he's settled, yeah. happy and, and all of those things. And it is so scary to think about a life for them without us. But for me, if you just bury your head in the sand, it keeps you in that victim place. It keeps you yeah. in fear. I think, yeah, I think it, it just fills us with fear, doesn't it? Watching yeah. the things like Winterborne View and all the other things that have happened to children like ours. And assisted living within communities is the way forward. And it's just making sure all them provisions are in place and you and you get that. Yeah, it, it is just getting that all in place into it and making sure it's the right thing because yeah. that, has, that does have to change, doesn't it? They're just shipped out to these institutions in the middle of nowhere or in industrial states or whatever they are and like kind of locked away. That needs to stop. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I founded More Than A Face, um, the charity, because I wanted people in our corner of the world to become completely desensitised to Harry's face. Because when he's six or seven and he's flapping and he's bouncing and he's stimming, he's cute. When he's 50 and he's got half a face and he's groaning and moaning, he becomes a target. Yeah. Um, and that's not what I want for him. So I want people to, and so I, I'm very keen on getting him out in my local community and lots of the shop owners and things like that know him um, and they'll greet him and things like that because I want them to know him as a person um, for that very reason so that when I'm not here he isn't just locked away somewhere and people will still welcome him in the same way that they do now. Yeah, yeah, and that's really important, isn't it, that the staying communities where they belong, where, where they've yeah. been brought up. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, really important. So what what happens now for Harry? Is he still in his school that he was previously? Or is, what happens, like, in the next few years, Charlie? 
Yeah, so we he's just about to go through another transition stage. So he's been, you know, COVID threw a bit of a spanner in the works for all of us, didn't it, in terms of yeah. education for the kids. So he should have, that should have been his first year at college. And it, and it wasn't because I wouldn't send him without adequate transition visits. So he started college last September. But the way that his college works is that they reduce the days. So as of this month, he goes down to a three-day placement from five days, which was terrifying when they mentioned that to me. But what they were saying is we don't want to keep him in college until he's 25, and then he drops off the edge of a cliff because there's no support. Yeah. Um, so he's got three days at college and two days in, like, a community placement. Yeah. So that's – and, again, that's really – we were fortunate that that's quite local to us. Yeah. So I'm going to go there two days a week and then phase that up. So college will then be two days and, and they will be three days. And that's somewhere that he can go. Their oldest member was like 82. Yeah. So that's somewhere he can just go until I'm no longer around. Um, and I love the idea that people will know him so well that he's just going to feel like they're going to feel like family. So that it excites me. Um, it's big and it's scary and he's yeah. struggling a little bit with it. But I know ultimately it will be really good for him. I think they tried to do that to us, didn't they? Once the Lucas turned 16, it was like, they'll be getting, is it 16 hours a week? Yes. Uh, but they're in a National Artistic Society school, which is full-time till 19 and always has been until the council decided this. Um, so we just fought for that full-time until the 19, but it's always for parents like ours. It's, you, you tend not to look too far in front because services change all the time and things get scrapped and changed. And I think that's a big worry for parents, isn't it? It is. And I think it's really hard because you feel like so much is happening to you. It feels like you, there's so little control that we've got in our own children's future because people are making decisions that's out of our hands. And it just yeah. it's so wrong. The system is so very broken. So for, for families wanting to reach out and, and be involved and get in touch with each other, what's the best way is? So they can follow us on social media, which is Our Altered Life. Um, and if they're interested in joining Send Gin and Cheese, which would be amazing, or Send Support for Dads, then that's on. They are free Facebook groups that people can yeah. access. Um, and we've got Send Gin and Cheese website as well. That's a .org website. So, Charlie, I just want to ask you, before we finish this chat, um, what top three tips would you give to anybody listening to this? Okay. So I think the first thing would be don't believe everything you think because we are our own worst critics and we can beat ourselves up and we can talk ourselves down the rabbit hole. And, and I think sometimes we, well, often we're not as kind to ourselves as we would be to other people. So I think in those moments when you were beating ourselves up, I just think remember that your brain can be a bit mean sometimes and don't believe it. The second thing would be to take one day at a time because it can, and sometimes it's an hour at a time, because life is, is can be feel really, really overwhelming. And there's a really lovely quote that I love that says, worrying is like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it gets you nowhere. And I, and I love that. And I think one of the ways that I try not to worry is to, to stay grounded, to stay present, to think about what I can control here and now. Um, and this, the third thing I would say is to talk. You know, I mentioned earlier that my marriage broke down and that was very much because Mark and I didn't speak to each other. Um, yeah. You know, I, I was 
I felt like I'd already let him down. So I didn't want to talk to him. He could see I was already struggling. So he didn't want to make me worse. And we were just like ships that pass in the night. So I think, you know, talking is so, so important. And if in the first instance, you can't do that with your partner, then that's where communities like Send Gin and Cheese or Send Support for Dads are really, really crucial. Um, so that like, you know, as you both said, so that you know, you're not on your own and you know, it's not your fault. And, and you're just around people that truly get it and not just the struggles, but the wins as well. Like you, yeah. know, you know, when the when the boys try a new food or when they do something new for the first time, you're like, yes. Yeah, yeah. Whereas other people are like, okay, like no big deal. Yeah. But we get it, you know. Yeah, um, yeah. So I think those would be my three things. Don't believe everything you think. One day at a time, and talk. I think they're really, really good points. They're just great points. I just think I feel a bit like I've had a bit of a counselling session. <laughs> I like it. But it's been great to have you here on the Differability podcast and, you know, just being able to talk to us and to be so open and honest as well. I think when you're honest, people really just relate to it, don't they? Yeah. And I don't think there's, I don't think there's any merit in pretending life's yeah, easier than yeah. it is. Or, there isn't, you know, I think yeah. you just have to strip it right back and say, do you know what? Sometimes life is really hard. Yes, it's great. And, you know, we adore our children, but sometimes it's really blooming hard. Yeah. I think that's what's difficult sometimes as well, isn't it? With social media, you, you want to put all the achievements and positives on, but people don't see there's backstories to that and there's meltdowns and there's, other things going on in the background that you don't always It's put like on, yeah. the photo you put on Instagram. People don't realise how much <laughs> effort and how long it takes just to get that photo. I took a photograph of Harry yesterday and we were in a beer garden and I took about 20 photographs and you could see he's like, enough. You're driving me mad. You know? Yeah. yeah, you know, I always say like when we're comparing, we compare our... How behind the scenes with everybody else's edited highlights. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not a fair comparison at all. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, don't compare. Yeah. Oh, thanks, thanks so much for giving up your time, Charles. I know you're really busy. Get cycling, love seeing children cycle for the very first time, especially if they never thought that would be an option for them. They have all kinds of trikes and accessories or adaptions, including supportive seats, backrests, harnesses, foot sandals, leg straps, calf supports, specialised handles, fitted gloves. There's loads more. If a child requires additional support, they have carer control handles or parent poles that attach to trikes, steer from the rear tandems where the adult is at the back and the child is at the front. And even if the child can't pedal, they have wheelchair tandems, so your child still gets the experience of getting out on three wheels and having the best fun ever. Whatever condition your children have been diagnosed with, Get Cycling can help get them out and about on a specialist bike. Head over to getcycling.org.uk forward slash differability to find out more and to book your own demo. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diffability. If you have enjoyed this podcast, found it useful, or even just learned something new, please consider leaving us a rating and a review. It helps to get this show out even more where parents really do need that support. And take a look through the back catalogue. There may be more shows in this series that can help 
you in your journey raising a child with their very own disability.